0: Yo, yo. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome to VUX World. I'm your host, as always, Ken Sims. Uh, maybe with COVID, although I don't think I do have COVID, I have tested myself twice over the last two days, and it is negative, but you can obviously tell probably by the sound of my voice that uh, things are not necessarily hunky-dory, but... Uh, I'm all right. We're cracking on. It's all good. All good in the proverbial hood. Uh, So before we begin today's conversation uh, with Lisa Misho, it's going to be an epic conversation because we're going to be talking about enterprise conversational AI challenges. Lisa works at Interactions, and Interactions is literally a global provider of voice AI and conversational AI capabilities to organizations uh, all over the world. And we're going to be talking about some of the top enterprise AI adoption challenges, implementation challenges, and some of the ways in which uh, organizations are finding success. Success. Uh, so we'll get to that in one moment. But first, a shout out to our presenting sponsors, Deepgram and Symbol AI. Uh, Symbol AI is industry-leading conversational intelligence capabilities. With its APIs, developers can build a whole manner of conversational intelligence applications. You can get to data within conversations that you didn't even know existed. And so let's say, for example, if you wanted to use it in your call center, you can do things like topic summarization. You can do things like speaker diarization. You can do quality assurance. You can work out whether certain uh, things were said or not said for QA uh, and compliance. You can do a whole bunch of stuff around outbound dial-ins. You can You can actually build your own agent assist capabilities using Symbol AI. The, the possibilities are absolutely endless, and it is literally limited by your imagination. So do check out Symbol.ai if you want to learn more about that. That's S-Y-M-B-L.ai. AI. Our second presenter sponsor is Deepgram. Deepgram is one of the industry-leading speech recognition providers. If you're building voice bots and voice assistants, whether you're working in call centers, whether you're working in apps or voice enabling websites, whatever the case may be, voice enabling devices, uh, then Deepgram is the go-to place I would recommend for your speech recognition services. Most speech recognition services that you get, you can't really do anything with them once you use it. It's kind of just out of the box. Whereas with Deepgram, you can retrain your speech recognition models for your specific use cases in your specific industry and your specific company products and services which means that you feed the best possible data into your natural language understanding engine if the the speech recognition doesn't work you're giving your natural language understanding engine rubbish and so get the first part right by using deepgram you can check out more at deepgram.com forward slash vux world that is deepgram.com forward slash vux world two more things to tell you about before we crack on. We're going to be partnering, well, we are partnering with Deepgram on a webinar at the end of this month on the 22nd of March. It's actually in a few days' time. And we're going to be talking about how to bring about the end of voice bots. saying... Can you repeat that? It's one of the most frustrating things that that users face when they talk to a voice assistant or they call a contact center and the bot doesn't understand a word that they're saying. So we're going to be diving into some of the best practice for creating highly successful conversational AI. We're joined by Deepgram CEO Scott Stevenson and also Illyrian CEO Dion Milson, and we're going to in. We're going to be climbing into how organisations can build successful voice applications. Uh, the link to that webinar will be in the show notes, and I will. I'll also put the link to that uh, down here. Oh, no, fail to to post that comment. I'll put the link in LinkedIn now if it works. There you go. Uh, And it'll be on uh, YouTube and it will be also on uh, the show notes when you get to it. Uh, The second thing we're going to do is at the end of this month, I'll be speaking at an audio codes webinar and we'll be talking about how to implement uh, voice AI capabilities into any call center. One of the places that people struggle with and one of the biggest stumbling blocks, we might even get into a little bit of that when we bring Lisa on in just a moment. Uh, The biggest stumbling blocks is how to take the bots that you've built, the assistant that you've built, and actually integrate it into a call center. Lots of different call center providers, lots of different ways of doing it, and no one size fixed-all solution until now. Audio Codes have got an immense release coming up on the 29th of March, which we're going to be talking about. I'm going to be doing a talk around how you can align your strategy successfully and set yourself up for success. And Elon Avner of Audio Codes is going to be showing you basically how you can integrate any bot that you might have into. To any uh, contact center uh, system. And so the link to that webinar is down here as well. I'll put that in the show notes and I'll put it on LinkedIn and on YouTube. Now, without further ado, let's get to the main event today, which is a conversation with Lisa Michaud, who is the product director at Interactions. Lisa, welcome. Hi, Kane. How's it going?
1: It's going well. Better for me, perhaps, than you. I didn't realize that you hadn't been feeling well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I masked it fairly well. Usually, my mumbles sound like this anyway, but it's a little bit more mumbly today, <laughs> because uh, yeah. So I don't know if it's a cold or something like that, but yeah. Anyway,
1: well, I guess we're we're practicing the ultimate social distancing here.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: The entire ocean in between us. So. I think,
0: yeah, I think we're good. I think we're good. Uh, cool. So uh, Steve was Steve Walswick, actually. Shout out to Steve. Uh, Steve is the creator of Mitsuku, which is one of the best conversational agents around. I don't know if you're familiar with Mitsuku, Lisa, but it is, being on for a long time is is incredibly good. Uh, and he's saying, early today, Kane, I thought these sessions were normally around 5 p.m. Kind of, kind of are, uh, but we are always accommodating. And when we're speaking to people who are overseas and in different areas, when we can flex and do as we will, so here we are, a little bit earlier than planned or earlier than usual, but delighted to uh, to get into this conversation with you, Lisa.
1: And I'm thankful that there's somebody who could uh, who re- recognize that it's not the right time and, and, and managed to join a board anyway.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice one. Shout out to Steve. Uh, so, Lisa, tell us a bit about yourself then. Tell us a bit about yourself and interactions for those that are not familiar with, uh, with, y- with yourself and with the company.
1: Uh, well, I'll start with myself in that... Um, I have been working in the conversational AI space in contact centers for the past seven years. Before that was actually, um, I come into it from the science perspective and that I was, a, I'm a former academic. Uh, I used to be a computer science professor and I used to do research in natural language processing. So I've always had a fascination around human language and how we process those languages in an automated fashion. And that, um, is one of the reasons why I got very excited when I was transitioning to Interactions as a company because I really loved the way they uh, approach that 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 problem. Interactions has been around for more than fifteen years at this point in the contact center space. Traditionally, a voice company, so traditionally uh, operating in the voice channel, but that is definitely evolving and is exploding as everyone is embracing their digital transformations. Um, and uh, we are a company that both provides our own conversational AI stack. So our, our own speech recognition, our own natural language understanding, and our own engine for uh, building and executing bots or conversational uh, virtual assistants. And we also um, have a very large professional services arm. So we are a complete managed service at this time. Where our customers are um, coming to us as the experts in that 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 conversational AI space to build that virtual assistant for them on to run on our platforms.
0: So mm. nice. So so it's a fully managed service. So as a client, then it would be a case of you know if I was whoever I was, let's say I'm a bank or insurance company or whoever. You essentially it's it's almost like outsourcing that kind of conversational capabilities to interactions. You kind of do the design, development, implementation, the ongoing maintenance, management, the whole, the whole kind of the whole nine yards. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. It's a long relationship. We build a, a very deep relationship with our clients. So every single time we start out with trying to figure out what their problems are, where their pain points are, and what are the best situations that we can provide automation for in terms of creating a self-service flow that can work with their um, with whatever their particular needs are. And uh, we like I said we built, we bring this very, very deep set of expertise within the center. We have a huge branch of the comp- of the professional services group, which are conversational designers and they are really great at how do we create those effortless conversational experiences. And we work with them to create the dialogue flows to create you know determine which are the use cases that um, would get the best ROI for automation, and, and then we create that. We also have the application developers to do all that backend integration and you know hook into their back office. And then we have those long relationships with them where it's not just we create a bot for them and hand it over. Um, it is running on our system, but it's also more than that because every one of those uh, virtual assistants is always in evolution. So you're always have the one version of it that's taking calls today and then we're working on the next version of it as soon as that one goes out the door, and we have people who have been with us from the beginning. We have customers who have more than a 15-year history with us, and we are still working on you know on their on their virtual assistants. And as I said, a lot of our clients are are facing questions of digital transformation right now, and our IVA, our virtual assistant um, platform, is opti channel we are offering multiple text channels as well as the voice channel at this point so we are engaging with a lot of our clients as they are looking into expanding the way their their customers can talk to them into other channels we are providing that and it's the same platform the same natural language understanding that can you know have a conversation in Facebook Messenger or an SMS or in a web chat that's embedded on their on their website. Um, and 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 working on breaking down those silos so that they don't have to deal with a different vendor for each channel. They can deal with one vendor, and then that uh, context can be m- maintained. So we can know, hey, you talked to um, the this, you talked to the brand in this other channel two days ago, and we can remember that information and leverage it in the conversation when they reach out in a different channel the next day.
0: Mm, interesting, and. What about what about your role then? So you mentioned there's conversation designers, there'll be developers. I'm imagining there's analysts and stuff like that. There's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into all this lot. I so to explain a little bit about about your role and and what you do at interactions.
1: I make, I sometimes make the joke that it takes a village to bring these applications yeah. to life. Yeah. So I work in product, and I have a few different hats that I wear within product. One of uh, the the primary hats I wear. Is my engagement around the environment that we use for creating applications. So, like I said, we have our own technology stack, top to bottom, and that includes the development environment that our designers and our application developers use to create those applications, and the uh, platform on which they run. Uh, that is has been under my uh, you know under my purview for the last couple of years as we evolve that and we add more capabilities that we want the virtual system to be able to do, we also have to figure out how do we author those and how do we make it as effortless for users to author as it is for people to speak with. And then another one of my hats is the opti-channel offering. So as we start to expand beyond voice and we build these integrations to all of these different text channels, that's also something that I oversee. So I like to say that from a product perspective, my job is in often cases to be the glue that sits in between all of these different groups. So I work very closely with our engineers. I work with our researchers. I work with our um, application developers and designers. I work with our clients and I get to, you know, to shift gears all the time, to bring those different people together and get them talking about what it is that we really want, where we wanna go with the, um, with the platform and with the authoring environment so that we can continue to bring more and more interesting uh, capabilities to that those conversations. Um, and that's why I consider myself very lucky that I come to it from a background where I also understand the science. And again, so I can talk to the researchers uh, as PhD to PhD, sometimes we can talk, get into you know, the science of how it is uh, that we, we um, process. How do we understand? How does our natural language understanding work? And I guess I, I mentioned that earlier and then dropped the thread. Um, one of the things that got me very excited about interactions when I first learned about them is that you know, one of the challenges for natural language understanding and for building, for building a bot is that chicken and egg problem. Uh, you need data to train, to train a classifier to, to understand intent, right? That's the at the most basic level. The biggest task a bot needs to do is understand what it is that this person is trying to accomplish and to classify that so that the bot can then get, the, get that done for them. And um, you need data to train a good classifier, but until you have the bot, you don't really have real data. Right? If, you, if a A conversational designer sits down and says, I want to train this intent, and I'm going to come up with five to ten utterances that represent that intent. That's not real data for two different reasons. One, it's tiny, and real AI is a big data problem. And five to ten utterances is not even small data. That's like nanoparticles. (laughs) (laughs) And the other problem is that the way the, the person who's building a bot is thinking of those utterances is not necessarily the way that the target audience would express that. They're not actually trying to get that accomplished and they're not necessarily even part of that target audience. They might be, um, you know, they may be of the completely different area with different linguistic patterns. I mean, it's, you know, it it just, it's not necessarily going to be even that small amount of data, a good representative set. So you see a lot of systems that they're early on the early days of deployment. They have a very very low um, understanding rate, very high rate of no match. And like you said, it for your title for that upcoming thing about you know can you repeat that? Um, those no, those dreaded no match responses are really you know really difficult. And then you're you're basically forcing the user to try and figure out how to speak in some way that is more in alignment with that small amount of data that it wasn't representing them. Um, And the way we do it at interactions is we realize that that is, that's a bad experience and we don't want to have even on day one for the, for the virtual assistant to be performing at that level. So we have real time human backup where we have this, these banks of of human intent analysts who are not agents. They are not Part of the conversation, but they can be there if the bot needs to phone a friend. If the bot says, "You know, I'm at a very low level of confidence in classifying this utterance and in figuring out what its intent is, so I need a little bit of help from human intelligence." And so these these real time uh, helpers can just either read if it's a text channel utterance or hear the the what's being said by this particular um, user and just be able to quickly classify within a second or two, which intent is this? So those intent analysts literally have, they know they're in a certain application. These are the possible intents that this application can classify. All they need to do is use that human intellect for just a second to solve that problem for the bot, which allows that, um, the, the bots to perform at a much higher level. It doesn't uh, make believe that we can really train a robust intent classifier on small data we can train a decent classifier on small data these days but for that percent very large percentage where it wouldn't cover it we've got that human backup as far as the user experience is concerned it's all behind the scenes the bot the virtual assistant responds right away with the correct Uh, you know, with the correct uh, response, and the the conversation continues. And along the way, we're building up that data. We're building up classified data that was classified by a human annotation person in real time, and that can be folded back into the AI. And so we get that very quick feedback loop, which then allows that AI to get stronger and stronger very quickly, and the reliance on the human backup to decrease. So we call that human-assisted understanding. It's one of the unique things about, about interactions and it's one of the things that I liked because as a scientist when I was hearing, you know, when I hear people say, oh, just put in five examples and click train and you've got an intent classifier it's like, no
0: <laughs> No, no and, and the fact that, I think you touched, you, you nailed both of them actually, the fact that it's one it's it's just purely based on assumptions, and you know it's very difficult to design a conversation but you've only got one half of the conversation there. You don't have the partner with you it's it's virtually impossible and no you can't ever get to the breadth of and scope that the real way that actual people speak. I think that whole idea of having a human backup is absolutely amazing. I've never actually heard of that before. I don't think from any other provider um mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, That also
1: gets it to the idea that, like I said, the, in terms of the target user population, um, let's suppose this is a utility company in Texas, and all of the callers have that, you know, have a, a really rich Texan accent, um, or or does their speech patterns, or the terminology. I mean, it, I, I come from the Boston area, so there's certain words in my vocabulary that are very unique to this area. Um for example, I will say that I I'm thirsty, so I need to go find a
0: bubbler. Right, bubbler, <laughs> think, a bubbler, yeah, <laughs> so the a water food. fountain. Water and fountain, think, all right.
1: <laughs> yeah. So New England, like what Southern New England, is pretty much the only time you're going to hear that that word. And there's other you know other terminology like that that are unique to the area. And um, so if we build you know if we build models based on not just on people who have the designer who's guessed a few examples, or, you know, another example, another option, people can crowdsource it, right? There are, or there are um, companies that will, will provide data for you. Um, and, but that data may not, if you, even if you do that and you source that data from them, that might not represent the way the people in, in this particular Texas community will actually express those phrases. So you're building it on that user community. You're getting that feedback right away. And so we're building these classification models that are very uh, specific to that task and the terminology
0: that they bring to that task. Hmm. is, is is um, Is that what the human in the loop helps with? Or is that something that you would do separately? The whole kind of like building a model based on the specific dialects of a a locale, for example, you're working with a, I know, a local credit union in one state, is, it, do you, is, this, is that what the humans are used for, it is to try and build around that kind of like language model for that specific location? Or is, is, do you do something else to, to do that?
1: Well, the, the humans are used for both. But, I mean, the humans, the, the primary purpose of them is in the moment to make certain that the conversation continues. And then the second purpose is they provide that data and then we build a model for that company. So we are not, while we do have lots of generic data and we can provide generic models for all sorts of things, like if we want to do something like pay my bill, <laughs> I want to pay my bill or I want to check my balance. There's a lot of things that, that are customer service intents that we can build generic models for, but we also do as part of the managed service, we, per, we train models for that particular application, based on their particular users, as as we get that tagged, annotated data from the intent analysts, and we pull that back in, and that becomes part of how we power the models for that for that customer and that application. Right, and yeah. I know I said I, I saw someone actually commented on that this, on the on the chat stream there. Um, it's not just that you know the companies don't need to do anything. And you're right. I mean, annotating data like if you have a chat bot and you want to Review all of the no matches and then hand annotate it and then feed that back in. That's an incredibly time consuming task. <laughs> Training that data with human annotation is um, expensive and time consuming, and that is part of the service that we provide. Mm.
0: Interesting. Got another comment here from Richard. I won't bring it up because it's quite long. Um, comment only. Uh, I really like the human understand, human assisted understanding feature. It creates what is sometimes called a co-bot scenario. Voice assistance, uh-huh. AVR, and the like doesn't need to be human versus bot model. This breaks it in a new and interesting way. Getting this right will be key. Step ahead for the industry. So there you go. You're trailblazing there, Lisa.
1: Thank you. And then we also have another way in which we're blending human human and AI. So we have, there are situations where there are tasks which the AI can't do. Like one of the things that we try to do is try to create these self-service situations because nobody wants to sit and wait online for a very long time to get to a human being, right, so that they can get a task done. People have shown in lots and lots of surveys that they are perfectly willing to talk to a bot if it gets their tasks done. They don't want to talk to it about, or the dreaded the dreaded letters IVR, <laughs> if it means frustration and having to repeat themselves and having to you know press numbers as they go through through a DTMF um, a set of of menus. But if it gets themselves the job done, then they're perfectly happy to stay in that automation. But sometimes you can't automate the entire thing. Sometimes it's because there isn't. A, an API for the back office work. So there's maybe for some reason they haven't developed one or they can't for some kind of regulation, a human being has to look at this task. Um, sometimes it's just a judgment call. It's something that is not something you can build a bunch of, of algorithms around to decide. So we have also created this, uh, this framework work called task orchestration which allows for the bot to basically delegate some, a task to a human being. And it's a little bit like a supersizing on the idea of the intent analyst who is only taking a second or two to classify an intent. This human being might be taking a little more than a second, but they are going to approve the they're going to approve the refund, which is just something that company just does not want to to do with um, with, with algorithms. They don't want to have an automation around approving a, a refund. They want a human being to set eyes on the situation and say, yes, this is a situation that qualifies. And again, they're not necessarily jumping into the conversation themselves. They're just doing that task. So the bot is working together with the human being for things that the human that the humans can do or humans need to do. And the conversation can still be mostly automated Um, There's also flavors of task orchestration where the human being will step into the conversation for a little while. Um, But it won't be a straight up escalation. It won't just be, okay, I can't handle the situation You're. I I need to hand it over. It's, hey, I'm going to bring in a friend. (laughs) I'm going to bring in a human to help out for the conversation a little bit. And then that human can step out and we can get back to the automation. So again, taking that load off of the human agents, which allows for, decreased wait times and you know increased efficiency because we're not waiting for the next available agent all the time
0: Mm. it's a really unique concept of this whole kind of like because people say like human in the loop is a kind of phrase and and people talk about like humans and bots working together and stuff like that but most of the time it's kind of like there, there is a there's definitely a handoff isn't there it's usually it's the bot that either fails and hands over to a live agent or it's the bot that purposefully hands over to a live agent at the right time. Let's say you want to do something that requires authentication or whatever, the, but might gather some information first, escalate you to a human that can then finish it off or whatever. And even on the agent assist side where you've got a kind of an assistant that's there listening to both ends of the call, suggesting to an agent what like a next best action or whatever might be. It's still kind of like, I mean, in those instances, you get the agents who will say, no, that's not not right. And they can help kind of train the model, but it's not, there's not this blend of, like a customer facing automated interaction that turns into a live conversation with a human that then turns back into an automated interaction. It's right. a really unique way of like, that's actually properly blending human and, and AI together.
1: Right. It's a partnership. And the reality is, 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 you know, trying to leverage what each side is best at just as, and I'm going to make, take advantage of this moment to make a segue. <laughs> like the idea of the channels, because you know we were talking a lot about voice and stuff. The conversations happen in different channels, and also recognizing that there are cha- there are times when other channels is like this is what this channel is best at. And one of the things that we were discovering in some of our recent um, usability tests is, you know, people really like the idea of moving out of the voice channel for collecting certain data. Because for me, one of the things I absolutely hate when I'm even in a face-to-face conversation, I'm making a purchase and they, they ask, well, would you like to have your receipt emailed to you? And then I have to tell them my email address. Because verbally expressing an email address and making that completely unambiguous so they get it right is very hard. I love it when they have a little keypad and they just turn around to me and they say, can you enter your email address? So now we've shifted channels, right? Because we've basically gone from a verbal, a voice channel into a text channel. And we've found that that, that um, users really respond to that. Instead of having the frustration of giving certain information verbally, which is hard to get unambiguously, um, unambiguously communicated, why not augment the voice communication with a text communication and be able to fill in that information so that they're signing up for a new for a new service, they need to provide their email address and a couple of other things. Why not uh, provide that via texting? Particularly mm. if they are on a smartphone, you know, they're talking. They don't have to stop talking. We're not shifting the, the conversation entirely to a different channel. We're just leveraging that other channel to provide that information and then continuing the verbal conversation. Because there are certain things that are faster speaking <laughs> there are other things that are easier texting. Yeah. So, to, you know, use, use the channels to, for what they're good at.
0: Yeah, that's a good idea. and Because also you've got like speech technology in general isn't always great at some things either, is it? You know, postcodes and letters and numbers and stuff can be really dodgy. Email addresses are notoriously dodgy. Even names are really dodgy because, you know, right. spelling of names. For example, you know, Michaud, your name is, is pronounced Michaud. But if you said that to a speech recognition engine, I'm sure you would get not some not something that's spelled how it should be spelled.
1: I mean, even if I spoke to, to a human being, like we were talking before the show, there's mm. so many different ways that the French spell the sound O that even if I were speaking to a, a native French speaker, they could come up with 10 different ways of spelling the end of my name. So whether it was A-U-X, A-U-L-T, O-T, <laughs> um, always involving some consonant that's ignored at the end. But um, But because there's so many different ways, you can't just say it. You have to say it and spell it. And even when you spell it, in the voice channel, there's so many letters that the, the difference between those letters sound wise are so subtle because of the the lack of fidelity when we're talking over phone that you end up having to say things like, you know, like I want to do my middle initial and I say N. N versus M is hard to make out. So I was, I was saying N is in Nancy, you know, yeah, they yeah. always have to do that. Um so yeah, there's there's certain challenges that um for the speech uh for that for that vocal. Distinctiveness and and getting those things across, and it just becomes more efficient to leverage another channel for that. And then, of course, you also want to just recognize that it's not just what different channels are good at. There's also what people prefer. So, Mm -hmm. you know, we're seeing we're an interesting generational shift where um, where you know certain um, certain surveys have found that baby boomers are still very very attached to the voice channels. And um, millennials are very, very attached to the text channels, and we Gen Xers are in the between and it can go either way. <laughs> we're, we're actually don't show up in the survey at all, which I just think is stereotypical. <laughs> we're the ignored generation. But we, I think my peers and I, we, we fall in different you know, different ways. I personally will always, always attach, uh, track, yeah, approach a customer service interaction in text first. Mm. And, hate calling people, so so I will always reach out on the web first and see if I can get that done. Um, and one of the challenges is that, like I said before about silos, right? We, they, a lot of um, brands have different things available on the different channels, and so I've reached out in the web channel and I've found that that's very, very limited, what they have on the web chat and I have to go to voice. And what mm. we really want to do is to empower brands to say, however it is that your customer wants to reach out to you, that's an optimal experience for them if they can get their task done in that channel. So instead of having just a simple, a simplistic chat bot on the web channel channel that can only do a WISMO request, they can only do the where's my order request, right? Mm. Um, being able to attach the same self-service flows that are available in other channels to, you know, to where it is that your customers want to reach out to you empowers those customers to get things done in the channels that they find most comfortable.
0: Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because one of the challenges around that if you don't have a setup like Interactions is that it's hard enough to, to develop a self-service conversational solution on one channel and introducing another channel that needs to keep parity with the context of the current channel is is a bit of a challenge. So for example, you're, you're on a call, you're in the middle of a conversation and the assistant says, I'm just going to send you a text. If you want to subscribe, can you just respond with your email address? Have you got the text? Yes, I have. Okay. Well, I've just responded. Okay, cool. And all of a sudden, you're kind of like, you know, dealing with some some kind of like dialogue that's almost like holding dialogue while the user goes and does the other thing. And so I can imagine that being a bit of a challenge for organizations who are just starting to get their head around automating the live chat conversations they have on their website or, you know, introducing a, a, an automated SMS. Where would you advise that kind of organizations? begin their journey do you think that some use cases purely and simply actually would benefit from having this kind of like multi-channel approach from the very beginning or is it a case of beginning with one channel and iterating over time because it you know it it can be for those who've never done it before it can seem like there's a lot of moving parts like what would your general advice be to how to begin the process of going down this kind of like omni-channel conversational route
1: yeah, I mean, I think you're right. There's a lot of moving parts, and I think that you know you, you don't want to boil the ocean. You don't want to to uh, try to to do everything all at once, particularly if you haven't done a lot of exploration as to what it is your customers want. I'm always somebody who recommends that you start relatively small and you learn. Uh, if that sometimes it's just a matter of opening up a channel and listening to what your users are trying to do on that channel, but not putting any automation there yet, just finding out what they're going to that channel for. Um, But in terms of use cases that, uh, to go back to the part of your question where you're talking about use cases that can um, really work well with leveraging multiple channels. And I think part of that is recognizing, again, where certain channels are best and there's been a lot of learnings on that. If you work with people who have that deep expertise in in design, and they know what are the kinds of things that work best in a visual medium versus a auditory medium, so you know the example of collecting data is one example. Another example is presenting data. So if I were a scheduling application and I have five different options to provide to present to you on possible um, possible Appointments that that you might want be interested in taking, right? That is not a good thing for me to present to you verbally, because if you're listening to it, uh, you cannot hold all five options in your memory and consider and weigh the possibilities and figure out, okay, I could do that one if I get my spouse to pick up the kids. You know, it's there's a lot of things to think about when you're trying to choose an appointment. What you want is something that has permanence. You want a visual display of those possibilities while you're thinking. So that's another uh, use case that that we've uh, talked about with our people is in our clients is presenting, you know, shifting to the text channel to to send data that then has a permanence and they can look at and think about for a while. But choosing which one of those is still something that you probably want to do, like verbally, just say, "Oh yeah, the Wednesday appointment is the best one." Uh, so it it's um, leveraging that expertise and people who have done explorations around what it means to to leverage both of those channels, and then also um, in general to recognize that you're not copying and pasting an experience. So you're not saying, okay, I want to go into the web chat the web channel, and I'm going to take everything that we've worked on to build this this. Virtual assistant in my Connect Center, and I'm going to take it and I'm going to copy and paste it into the, the web channel and make it work that way because the flows are going to be slightly different. The uses cases are going to be different. People may come to that web page with different tasks in mind, and the tasks in a web chat are often going to be in the context of what web page they're on. And <laughs> so you need to be able to recognize that some of that material can be shared, and some of it's going to be very unique to that channel. Um, So this sort of segues into the idea that, um, you know, like I said, about leveraging deep experience. And one of the things about providing a managed service is when people are getting into that and they're getting into this idea of digital transformation, they don't have to invent the wheel. They don't have to have expertise in house. They can, you know, use a company like mine, as the consultants and the experts and the subject matter experts who are going to bring that knowledge and say, we can guide you in that transformation. So Mm -hmm. it's it's steps. Don't try to, you know, pull everything over and do everything all at once, but, you know, start with one thing, add some more stuff, learn from what your customers are doing and what they're trying to do and bring more automation and more um, conversation, you know, more uh, conversational experiences as, as we, Collect that, you know, what they're trying to do and what would get you the best ROI.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I suppose one of the other benefits around that whole managed service option is that um, you can potentially benefit from uh, other clients, So, for example, we we had uh, Brian Jepperson on yesterday, who is the director of contact center operations at Landry. Landry, you know, you might be more more familiar with that than I was, to be honest, because it's a US-based company that's got, like, I think, bubblegum shrimp and a bunch of other restaurants and casinos and hotels and stuff like that. They were automating their call center and went for a managed service option as well and were able to deploy it within 30 days. Because the company... um, already had some knowledge around you know appointment booking and you Mm -hmm. know in that kind of domain so I imagine one of the benefits would be that let's say interactions and a bunch of clients that you have in one domain area another client who has a similar kind of use case similar industry can benefit from that kind of like language model and and classifier is that part of the the value have you got a specific domain focus sort of thing or do you think I mean
1: there's You know we have we have the idea of verticalization and we have the idea of sort of horizontal, verticals and horizontals. So a great example of a vertical that uh, allowed us to do a lot of pre-built content that allows you to uh, to to deploy relatively quickly is the the collections, the financial collections vertical, because the reality is is that these conversations are all pretty much the same, the same kind of flow and. Almost all of these collection companies use the same back office technology. So you build out that integration once, and you've got that in your in your pocket to use. So, um, so we have that ability to create a sort of prototypical what you know what a conversation in this particular vertical would look like, and and um, and reuse that content and 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 make that a faster process. And of course, you know, so it also depends on the individual. It depends on the client because. The, the more time you take, the more we can customize it to your particular things. So I think it's, it's the, um, there's a lot of different models involved. There's the model of picking the suit off the rack and paying for it and walking home. And then at the other end of the spectrum, it's the going to the tailors, getting yourself measured and having a suit tailor made for you from raw cloth. And there's flavors in between, right? Mm-hmm. So the latter one, the the rock, you know, starting with the tailored, bespoke suit is a much longer process because we have to know that client and that's going to take a long time to create but it's going to make you look good (laughs) (laughs) one off the rack is going to be cheaper and faster it's not going to have that same wow factor and so you know you choose what what you want in between but um so the 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 verticals are like you know insurance companies and and um, banks and collections companies and utilities companies but there's also these horizontals like scheduling. So scheduling is a use case and it could go in a lot of different verticals but you're right one of the things that happens once you create you have this long long experience and you've worked with so many different companies in different fields is you've built out what the best practices are for this particular use case and then yeah and then you have basically a template you have a component that you can reuse as a, a, a genericized component that represents a really effective uh, appointment scheduling flow. So, so yeah, that is also.
0: Interesting. Um, so I mentioned there that the Landry's use case deployed in about 30 days. Um, if you look at other kind of providers, I think Cori on their website and Casisto and stuff like that, they have like deployable within 30 days. You know, whether it's true or not in reality, depending on the infrastructure the organization has, who knows. But but there is, needless to say, there is some organizations that are, I suppose, playing on this quick deployment uh mm-hmm. Option, which I'm sure uh, interactions uh, can do in use cases where you've got domain expertise and knowledge and stuff like that. Let's say there's a brand new client in a brand new industry that you've never kind of like worked with before. You mentioned there you have to like really get another client. It takes a long time to make a tailor-made suit. What do you think, broadly speaking, those kind of timings are? Like, how how long would a typical like brand new industry take? Do you think to to bring to life think- a tailor-made suit?
1: I I don't want to speak for our professional services people who are the the actual experts on that but I think it really does depend on the on on the customer in that particular case because um, now we typically do have multi-month engagements for that first thing but that's part of because we do a lot of discovery and you know the more you know about them the better that that first draft is going to be because what you really want to do, for example, is you really want to study what are the intents that these people are going to come, you know, are are your clients or your customers are coming to you with. uh, And what are the best ones to automate? And if you don't have some data on that, you want to collect that data. Mm. And the reason why you want to collect that data is we don't want to spend a whole lot of time building out intents that aren't going to be used. Um, I did or say building out flows. So I did an experience experience once where I worked with a a customer where they they sort of did educated guesses on what use cases they wanted to build out. And in the first two months of interaction with that particular bot, half of the things that were built out were never even invoked. (laughs) And half of the things that people came to the bot with hadn't been part of that draft. And it was a wonderful uh, case study in why you need to have that information, why you need to have that discovery phase and to really learn about what what to build. And um, the other thing the other thing that is a sort of a long tent, long pole in the tent is integrations into the back office. Mm-hmm. So um, you know people are always talking to me about how when particularly if someone has not built a lot of uh, automation and self-service around, Certain tasks in the past, the client themselves need to provide the hooks into their back office to get these tasks done, and that may mean building hooks that haven't ever existed, which is a dependence on the becomes a depend on the client to build and then debug those API calls, and so that which is something that doesn't even necessarily um, fall into the the purview of the person building the application can delay things significantly as we, you know, work on what that API, what those API um, columns are going to be, what they're going to accomplish and, and build the integration around that. Um, so it's one of the biggest challenges and mm. that can, that can delay the, you know, the launch significantly. Um, so it's, you know, it, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to to say, but we, I don't think we typically do a, a, a you know from from beginning to end in thirty days because we don't typically offer the the suit that's off the rack we're we're, yeah. we're usually more in the middle to of the of the suit <laughs> analogy and, and 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 towards the bespoke suit but what's interesting is we do have more and more clients who who want to have more ownership so we are also at simultaneously evolving towards you know how can we work. Just as we were very much about our technology being a partnership of the human and the automation, how do we work with our clients so that we have that the creation of an application becomes more of a partnership between wh- who they have on staff and who you know they want to do so, own some of that development and they own mm. and own some of that um, creation and our expertise. Mm. So, so that we can move in a direction of of giving them more and more direct ownership of the process, if that's what they want. Yeah. In many cases, you know, uh, DIY is not what people want. They don't want to have to staff those those expertises.
0: Yeah, I think there's there's it's horses for costs, I think, isn't it? At the minute, I'm noticing that you've got some organisations on the kind of like bigger scale like some of the big banks and stuff like that in the us and in the uk to some degree where having kind of like ownership over it and having a whole team you know swisscom and stuff like that mercedes and and, and companies like that who are doing things like you know having ownership over their experience with a customized voice and you know bespoke technology sets and stuff like that um and they're getting you know a good amount of talent exists in those teams. I think that those organizations want to have kind of like ultimate control over their customer experience and whatnot. But then you've got organizations, even still big organizations, but that just do not have the resources or the capacity and maybe even can't actually get hold of the resources, even if they want to, because <laughs> it's not as if everybody's a walk in kind of like conversational AI engineer or conversation designer at this minute, you know? Um, so I think it's horses for courses, but I think that definitely I'm noticing that some companies are wanting some degree of control. But there's a fine balance, isn't there, between offering kind of like carte blanche access to some fairly sophisticated technology that has taken a long time and a lot of very smart people with very specific skills to create. Uh, and then putting that in the hands of of um, organizations that may not have that same level of skill. So I think that idea of partnering, as you mentioned there, mm-hmm. is probably a good spot to be where you've got the expertise and the kind of skill sets within interactions and you're able to kind of almost, I don't want to say train, but it's almost like a collaboration and then you can help the organization be empowered to you know, make certain changes or whatever over time and, and help them develop their maturity basically.
1: Exactly, exactly, and I mean it, it like you said there's sometimes they can't staff it sometimes they just don't want to staff those expertises, and also there's so many different skills that get that are part of creating a, a conversational experience. So you know we have, as I mentioned before, we have two different teams. We have the team that is the the conversational design team that works on the experience and we have the application development team that works on all that back office integration. But um, you know that, that that's only two. That's two spheres. But that at the very least, I would say it was the minimum set because you know you can't really come to this to this task if you're talking about building something more than a simple hello world bot. Mm. You can't come to that task without skills that cover both spheres. You have to be able to understand what makes a good experience. And that has to be – you have to be somebody who knows how to put together and craft a dialogue and Mm -hmm. create that dialogue in a way that isn't going to break people's brains when they try to Mm conversate with it. But there's no – you know, the the folks who talk about low-code, no-code, it's like, well, yeah, in a low-code, no-code environment, you can do a lot of things conversationally, but can you do things that are part of a real enterprise – a uh, virtual assistant that can do all of this, these complicated self-service um, you know, these real life self-service flows that involve the manipulation of data and the integration into these databases, because, because that's, you know, that's not trivial.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. um,
1: yeah. That's that, that, that somewhere along the line, you're going to have to throw some code in there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? How how multifaceted it is. You've got, you know, the conversation design at one part to make the interaction a good interaction for the user. You've got the kind of like technology in the middle, which is all around the the language classification and the context management and all that kind of stuff. Then you've got the integration into line of business systems and and, and data sources and all that kind of stuff. It's like, some organizations just struggle with that final bit. That's why some of them don't have self-service options in many channels because yeah. it's actually pretty hard to do. And now you're adding a new layer of technology and a new design practice on the front of it, which can be quite a challenge. Um, I think that some of, the, some of the conversations that maybe is that you're particularly not having given that you're more on the kind of product side, but certainly maybe the professional services team is, is likely having is you're going to have clients who really don't understand anything about it and to be honest, don't really care. You know, the as I said, the conversation I had with Brian yesterday was such a really good insight into how some organisations are thinking about this. Which is, I've got a problem in the contact centre. I can't recruit for it. I just want a problem solving, and I, and and it's bound to be cost effective because it's costing me a lot anyway. And so I just need a solution. And and there's no real. I don't really care how it works necessarily, as long as it's good. Um, then you're going to have kind of like other um, clients who are. A little bit more educated, but maybe reading into some of the hype that you see around around you know AI and this kind of like I don't know black box that's able to answer everything and do everything and maybe have inflated expectations and stuff like that. I wonder how you might kind of like um, how you what your advice would be on for for a client. Let's say there's a client potential client tuning in thinking about this kind of automation efforts what would your kind of advice be to that client around how to manage their expectations around either how long this might take or how complex it might be or all of those kind of things like what what are some of the sort of like key things, messages that you would say from a maybe it's an expectation management point of view
1: um no well, that's a good question and you know there's a part of me that says like the, the first the first thing that popped into my head is you know is AI is not a magic wand. Mm. <laughs> you can't just, um, you can't just dump a whole bunch of data into a black box and have, and have a bot. Um, it, it doesn't quite work that way. Um, it is surely it is magical. There are some amazing things that we can do with AI every single year that increases and that deepens. And that's not a pun on deep neural networks, but, <laughs> 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 but um but it isn't. Um, it isn't something that you can just turn. You know, just dump stuff in, press a button, and you get something out. Like, like some nineteen forties, nineteen fifties science fiction story where there's the there's the machine that you press a button and your entire meal just slides out on a plate with all the different dishes that are all cooked together and placed on your plate for you. Um, we're we're just like we don't have, we don't all wear silver lame and we don't all have jetpacks that we use to get to work. There are things about the 1950s <laughs> portrayal of the future <laughs> that aren't real. Um, it takes time, and it the the if you don't take the time to to really, like I said, do the re- do the discovery of what your virtual assistant needs to be able to do then you're not going to get the result you want and so it takes time it takes investment and um, and human beings are going to be a huge part of it human intellect for that from that design perspective that's you know that's going to be a huge part of it that 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 process of a human being bringing their creativity to the table is going to be a huge part of that process and just recognizing that it's that you know not just a box we press a button
0: <laughs> although we were talking about spider-man before this uh spider-man would have you believe that it kind of is i don't know if you've seen or if anyone has seen one of the more recent films where he uh, puts these sunglasses on and he's got this assistant called edith and yeah some of the things he talks to edith about is like <laughs> just absolutely unbelievable
1: until we have tony stark <laughs> actually building uh virtual assistants uh building the platforms that we execute on I don't think that's going to quite be something that we all have access to I'm you know it's 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 wonderful I'm a big Marvel Cinematic Universe fan um and I would love to have more virtual assistants out there that are like the ones that Sark has put together
0: um
1: you know I I I still I miss Jarvis (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah yeah but uh, they do help to uh maybe keep that kind of um you know balloon of inflated expectations still inflating perhaps because you see stuff you see the movie her you see tony stark you see the spider-man film and everything is becoming voice enabled um which is interesting to to understand how that kind of you know movies and popular culture and the emphasis on voice technology, how that helps shape people's expectations of what it's, what it's like uh, when, when, you know, it's maybe it's not quite like Edith, but you can still get some very good stuff done as we've, as we've learned.
1: I, I have a favorite slide that I use in certain presentations that are for general audiences where I have the shot from um, Star Trek four, where Scotty is trying to interact with a 1986 computer <laughs> and the first thing he does is he sits down in front of the computer and he says, hello computer. <laughs> right? And like, speaking to it, like I just I just recently used that slide in a conversation with university students, and I did take a moment to tell them that this was a joke. <laughs> <in 1986. laughs> Um, the whole point was this man from the future had traveled back in time to 1986 and was trying to work with a computer and his assumption was that the interface with this computer was voice based (laughs) and then when someone hands him a mouse which I was kind of shocked at because I didn't have a mouse on my computer in
0: 1986
1: (laughs) but someone hands him a mouse and the first thing he does is he repeats himself hello computer (laughs) he just so then the host, he starts with the keyboard, and so, so it's, you know so so the the idea of a voice interface to our machines in science fiction and setting expectations for that is not anything new. Um, what's interesting is that it has how far it has come to catch up with uh, with some of the portrayals in in um, in science fiction, and and I'm going to account you know, science fiction slash whatever you want to call, count the Marvel Cinematic Universe as. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it, we still have, I still have experiences every day where my home virtual assistant does not understand what I was trying to say. And mm. sometimes it can be something as as sort of, in terms of expectations, as as expectation lowering as me saying, um, I think one time recently I said to the, the one in the kitchen, I said, hey, can you create a, a timer named oven for 10 minutes. And the assistant said, sure, I can do that. For how long?
0: <laughs>
1: and I said, for 10 minutes. And she said, okay, I've created the timer named oven for 10 minutes for 10 minutes. <laughs> and then I realized that the problem was is when I said create a timer named it had taken yeah. an entire, entire string after that as the name. <laughs> And um, you know, and that talk about you know bringing those expectations down, recognizing mm. that l- doing slot filling based on a template. Um, and uh, so we're, we're not there yet.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but I use I use a a um vi- a verbal interface, a voice interface, every single day in my kitchen. Every day mm. I use that, not for a lot of different use cases. But um, for a lot of things around the kitchen, I use a, a verbal interface to add things to my my shopping list every day. And when we're having conversations at the dinner table <laughs> and we have a discussion and we we have disagreements disagreement about something, we will turn around and we will say, "Hey Google," and we'll get Google to give us information that will resolve the argument. Yeah. So so some of the some of the science fiction is here.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. It's And, it, and it's just the beginnings. I you know we've we used the analogy a number of different times before that it's almost like the early 90s of, of the internet where all the web pages are HTML tables and inline CSS colors and stuff. And it's like, that kind of feels like where we are. But then at the same time, when you think about it, the fact that Star Trek was really a super futuristic program and they were talking to computers... And really, that's can, that is what we can do today. Wake word detection works pretty well. Uh, voice recognition works well enough and classifiers work well enough for those use cases around questions and kitchen timers and call centers. And, you know, it's actually the only thing that it doesn't do, perhaps, is it doesn't have quite as much of the kind of like broad and deep intelligence behind the scenes like maybe as an Edith might do to be able to, you know, manage the context like a human can to remember, you know, how a conversation's going and what we spoke about last time and all that kind of stuff. But the actual technology is in terms of verbalizing something, having a machine understand it and doing something. I think we've come on a hell of a long way, haven't we?
1: Yeah, we have. But you're right. (laughs) Context is the next thing. Even just interpreting the next query in the context of the previous one um, you know what's the weather today? We'll help out Thursday. You know, yeah. not all not all the virtual assistants can handle that one.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: or remembering stuff about you. I mean, on the web, you, you used the web as an analogy a second ago. So on the web, we are now in a situation where the web, our interactions with web browsers, remember everything we've been doing. Right. So the context, the context of what your activity on the web has been, follows us everywhere, and that's both to our you know, to the good thing and the bad. <laughs> and all of a sudden you get spammed by an enormous number of advertisements for whatever it was you were you were browsing about. But the next step in our 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 assistance has to be to think about how we maintain context so that we understand what people are saying in the context of what they've been asking about, what they asked about yesterday, what you know what this person typically wants and leverage that information because okay. otherwise you don't have that personalization. And, you know, I, I often say like, we want to have, um, we tracking us and knowing us and using that information about us can be kind of creepy in some circumstances, but can also be working towards that effortless mm-hmm. effortless communication. So I, I, one period of my life, I had a specific coffee shop that I walked by every morning on Fridays, every every Friday morning, rather, on my way to a, teaching four hours of lab. So for four hours, I was teaching introductory programming students how to program.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and I, so I got this coffee to steal myself for those four hours. <laughs> and it was always the same coffee. And after a little while, they had it waiting for me on wow. on the shelf. I mean, now, if you want to do that with Starbucks, you can put in your order and then walk in and get it. But this is before that, this is in the, in the <laughs> mid nineties. Um, and they just, they knew me and they knew I was going to come by at a certain time on Friday and they just had it waiting for me. And all I had to do was pick it up and pay for it. Nice. And that made it effortless. And it also was a kindness, right? And that, that kind of knowing the, you know, knowing the person and knowing their habits and then anticipating them in that riding that fine line between effortless and creepy. <laughs> and and make it you know make our lives a little bit easier
0: yeah yeah nice nice um so i know i know a little bit over but if we do have time for one more question i know that Guillaume has has been paying attention and tuning in from the very beginning so if we if we have you got time for one more quick quick question from Guillaume?
1: The one that I see at the top there about recommendations?
0: Yeah, this one here around any recommendations on how to do the, the, you were mentioning discovery sessions and doing a lot of discovery to fully understand the business, the the customer, the use cases, the intent, stuff like that. Uh, Guillaume's looking for any recommendations as to how to do these discovery sessions and workshops, or can you recommend any? I I wish
1: I could, but I'm, again, going to say I'm not going to speak for our professional services people who are the real experts in this. I am a listener at some of these kinds of conversations, but I'm not the one running them. Um, So there are methodologies behind that. I just don't have any resources off the top of my head. I'm sorry, Guillaume.
0: No worries. No worries. Uh, So finally, uh, I know you mentioned at the beginning that uh, you are speaking at, um, where's it gone? The Conversational Interactions uh, conference is it
1: yes so if anybody is going to be in uh, the region of san jose california uh, next month there's a conference uh, the Avios conversational interactions conference is on april 12th and 13th and i'll be giving uh, a talk there about um, more about interactions and about um, that human AI assistant, you know, the, the, that partnership and, and that blend of technology. And in general, it's a great conference for hearing more about how, you know, the, the thoughts around how do we create these interactions that are conversational in nature, not purely transactional, not purely, um, you know, robotic, but actually natural.
0: Mm, perfect well the link will be in the show notes the link to the interactions website will be in there as well interactions.com do check that out um, if you are interested in learning more any other kind of like resources or areas that you would point people if they wanted to learn more
1: Uh, nothing's coming up to my mind right now (laughs)
0: No worries. I think a conference and the website is, uh, is more than, more than good enough. Uh, cool. Well, Lisa, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a whirlwind of, of insight. It's been really, really, really interesting. Thank you so much. And apologies. We've run over a little bit, but I really appreciate oh. you sticking around.
1: And thank you for, uh, thank you for having me on. And I hope that, you know, other, all the folks who have, uh, LinkedIn there can find me there. Um, and, and I'm happy to answer more questions if they want to message me on LinkedIn.
0: Cool. Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Thank you, Richard, Steve, uh, Michael, Guillaume, and those of you that have been commenting and tuning in. Uh, don't forget the Deep Ground webinar that we're doing at the end of this month. Link will be in the show notes. The audio course webinar that we're doing as well. Link will be in the show notes there. And uh, if you haven't already subscribed to VRX World, where have you been all my life? It's been over four years now. Uh, all of these, <laughs> all of these epic conversations that we have with people like Lisa every single week, multiple times a week, and all of the insights that, that these amazing practitioners and industry leaders share can be in your inbox every single week. So vux.world forward slash subscribe. Uh, if you are interested in keeping abreast of the here and now and the future of conversational interfaces. Uh, without further ado, that, that will be it for today. Lisa, thank you so much. Uh, thank you all for tuning in and we'll see you again uh, tomorrow when we're chatting to Angel Maria of Deutsche Telekom about how they've actually built a platform internally for their own purposes, which is really interesting. You know, usually you see companies like Walmart acquiring a company like uh, Botmock, so they bring in technology. Apple acquires Voices and all of these companies get acquired to bring in capabilities, whereas Deutsche Telekom, what's quite interesting there is actually they've built their own capability that -hmm. they're actually potentially releasing out from the company into the world. So it's going to be interesting to to figure out what all that's about. Cool. Cool. Nice one. We'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you again, Lisa. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you. Bye.